What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is former NFL wide receiver Marcus Colston. Marcus played college football at Hofstra University and was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in 2006. He helped the Saints win Super Bowl 44 with seven receptions for 83 yards against the Indianapolis Colts. Marcus is the Saints' all-time franchise leader in receiving yards, yards from scrimmage, receiving touchdowns, total touchdowns, and total receptions. But that's not where Marcus's journey ends. He's also an executive performance coach and consultant, as well as an adjunct professor at the University of New Orleans. As a performance coach, Marcus supports elite athletes, rising executives, and innovative entrepreneurs with dynamic and unique insights, mindset tools, and strategies to unlock new creativity and performance that leads to sustainable professional success. His clients range from Fortune 100 companies to Main Street small businesses. Marcus, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me, man. It's, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, yeah, same here. I know uh, when we connected, uh, we were talking business, and it's exciting to kind of get into this now. Um, but just kind of as a podcast interview to kind of wind it back a little bit, what was your childhood like in terms of thinking, you know, what my career path would be like? Did you ever think you would be in the NFL, have success there, be an entrepreneur now building success there? Like, well, take us back in time a little bit. For sure. So growing up, I, I kind of had tunnel vision. Um, you know, for me, it was it was NFL from day one. And, uh, you know, I started playing the game when I was seven years old. And uh, instantly fell in love with it. Um, I played other sports along the way, uh, but I quickly realized that football was it for me. And, and I think at that point, it kind of became the dream. Um, and as I moved throughout throughout high school, uh, wasn't really highly recruited, wasn't really a, a a dominant player in high school, but ended up you know getting a getting a chance to play college football at a small school. Um, it was still kind of kind of a dream at that point, playing at a small school. Um, you know, under recruited guy, but probably around my junior year, kind of it, it, it made that shift from from dream to goal and it started to feel more tangible. And from that point on, it was it was just kind of tunnel vision for me. Um, you know, and, and my goal was to get into the league and, and make some noise. And I set a goal for myself to play 10 years. And, um, you know, with that kind of tunnel vision, I really hadn't thought about what plan B was. Uh, plan B was kind of like, I, I just got to make plan A work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but once I got, once I got into the league and, and, uh, you know, realized that I could actually, um, I could actually think about other things and, and kind of take a deep dive into other things outside of football. That's when entrepreneurship and, and all of these other things, you know, kind of started to, to pop on the radar. And that's, that's kind of at that point when I started to think about, you know, what, what is this next step? What is life after football going to look like? And, and I just kind of started to dip my toe in the water in a bunch of different areas. Um, and that's kind of how my entrepreneurial journey got started. 
That's amazing. And I'm curious, you know, did anything specifically happen your junior year of college where you started to realize, okay, this isn't just kind of that pipe dream, but this is reality where you either playing better or noticing people were starting to recruit you. Like what started happening? Yeah, exactly. I started to, I started to talk to a couple, um, a couple coaches uh, for some NFL teams and, you know, they, they saw some interest in me, had some interest in me after my junior year. Um, that was probably one of my, my better campaigns that I put together. Um, you know, and I, at that point I was, I was, I was what they considered a tweener. So, so the conversations were, were interesting in that. I didn't know if I was going to play tight end. I didn't know if I was going to play receiver or H back, what they call it at that point. Um, but that's, you know, those, those conversations is what kind of validated the, the dream and, and kind of helped to shift it to a goal. And, you know, that's, that's kind of when I knew it was real and, and I had an opportunity to make it happen. Nice. How did your family and maybe close friends feel about this? Were people telling you, hey, Marcus, come on, man, you go to Hofstra, like, what are you going to be the next Wayne Corbett? Be realistic. Like, you know, what's your plan B? Or was everyone just kind of like, hey, we believe in you? Like, what was going on at that point in your life? It, it was really interesting because a lot of the folks that um, would have been in my corner, they I kind of weeded them out with my decision to go to Hofstra. Um, you know, because it was it was a school that wasn't really well known, uh, specifically wasn't well known for for its football program. And when I made the decision to go there, I actually turned down one Division One offer to go there. Uh, there were a lot of people that um, they kind of they they told me what I should have been doing, and in so many words, told me I was making a dumb decision. Yeah. Um, you know, so so those people kind of fell off the bandwagon at that point, and from there, it was really just my family, my mom. Uh, my brothers, sisters, and and some close friends, and it, it, it's funny in that a lot, I remember a lot of the conversations I used to have with my mom, um, who fully supported me. You know, told me to go chase my dreams um, until I couldn't chase them anymore. But we would always talk about Plan B. Um, she would always talk about you got to have this black this backup plan. Um, you know, the, the playing the what if game and. In the back of my mind, I always knew that I needed to have a, a, you know, I needed to have something to fall back on, but I just couldn't bring it to to the front of my mind because to me it was when I started to invest in plan B, that's energy I could have been investing in plan A the whole time, you know, so, um, you know, they they fully supported it, fully supported my dream. Um, My mom tried to introduce a little bit of realism in there, but um, no, I've, I've, I've been blessed in that the, the people that have been in my circle, it, it's a really tight knit circle. Uh, but the people that have been there have been there for a long time. And, you know, I know what their intentions are. Um, I know what they're about. And, and, you know, when you have that kind of comfort, it, it allows you to go and, and uh, chase a little bit harder. Mm, yeah. That's, I, I like what you said. Don't put too much time into plan B because that takes away from plan A. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, at some point you got to understand the odds and you got to understand the game that you're playing. But if you're really going to go after something, you can't, you don't, you don't want to chase something and feel like you left anything on the table or you left any gas in the tank. Right. If, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail exhausted. <laughs> right. So, so that was kind of my approach. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your mom. What was it like growing up? Yeah. So I, so I grew up, um, initially in, in a two-parent household uh my, my dad was was he was kind of my coach um in everything uh he was he was the person that i looked up to the most in the world um he was somebody that 
you know, he was he was a, a well-known figure in the community, um, always, you know, ready and willing to lend a hand um, and was just kind of kind of that guy that coached all the sports and was, you know, involved in the community in, in, in every in every way you can think of. Um, my mom was was at that point, she was um, kind of like the community mom. Um, so we, we would always have kids around, always have uh, some sports going on. And she was kind of holding down the fort, uh, always supportive, always kind of that backbone. Um, you know, so so that that relationship with, with my parents was um, one that they, they, the values that they instilled in me and, and my siblings. I have uh, I have four siblings, um, you know, and I sit literally right in the middle. So, um, yeah, the, the 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 values and the in the, um, the, the just the way that we grew up, the family first atmosphere, community first atmosphere. Um, our household was all about integrity and, and, you know, doing the right thing for the right reasons. So, you know, those, those values that they instilled in us early on are still a lot of the pillars that drive my life today. Um, and, you know, unfortunately my, my father passed away when I was uh, literally going like two weeks into my freshman year in high school, which at that time, at that point in my life, I'm 14 years old, I'm ready to start this, this high school football experience. And it was a void that, you know, it created a void that really is, 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 there's still a void there, right? When you lose somebody that's that important to you and that important to your growth and your development, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a hefty hill to climb, right? Um, so what I saw my mom do was to the best of her abilities, um, although she was already doing everything, she was, like I said, she was already kind of the backbone in the family. I saw her try to take on more to fill that void. And, you know, that's when our relationship kind of went to another level in that um, at the time I was, uh, my, my older siblings had graduated and they were out of the house. So it was kind of me and her kind of trying to figure things out, yeah. um, you know, trying to figure out a way to make ends meet, trying to figure out a way that my younger siblings um, didn't, they didn't have as, as large of a void as, as some of the older siblings had. So our relationship was one that you know, we kind of, we kind of bonded in, in a totally different way. And, and that bond was, was a forever bond. Um, you know, it was, uh, she was my biggest supporter. Um, she was my, my conscience. She was, she was really everything. She was everything. And, and, you know, part of me wanting to succeed was trying to, to, in essence, relieve some of the burden that she had took on um, raising us and, and trying to fill the void after my father uh, passed away. Uh, so she kind of became not only my biggest supporter, but my biggest motivation at the same time. Wow. I'm curious, uh, what, like, for example, when let's say you're tomorrow's the Super Bowl or you just win the Super Bowl, something happens, like, what's your, your relationship with your mom like at that point? Like, is she texting you, calling you, like, good luck? Like, like, are you guys just in shock in this positive way? Or are you like, you, are you not a big deal? You got this. Let's go. Like, what, what were those moments like with your mom in those highlights of your NFL career? Oh, man, it, it was amazing. She she actually made the trip down to Miami for the Super Bowl. And it, it was so funny to me because she she always talked about not being a football fan. Like, she she claimed she couldn't stand the game. But I would always find her, you know, clipping out newspaper uh, newspaper articles and press clippings, um, 
you know, so for her to have the, for her to be able to be at that game, um, be on the field with me afterwards. Uh, my, my younger brother was down, uh, actually two, two of my brothers were down there uh, at the game as well. Uh, just to be able to have the outcome that we had and actually be able to win that game and, you know, be able to connect with them on the field as all the commotion and all the craziness was going on. It was, it was one of those surreal moments to where when I got a chance to see them and connect with them, it was like everything else just kind of stopped and it was just us. Um, you know, so it was, it was one of those moments that we had all kind of, kind of grew up playing sports, all kind of dreamed about, you know, playing on that stage. So it was, uh, it was really special just to be able to share that moment with them. Yeah, I bet. I'm curious, um, what qualities and values do you think you possess and possessed when you were getting into the league that you may have gotten from your parents uh, that enabled you to have so much success? Because I'd imagine to have the career that you had or a career like that would require more than just physical talent. It would require mindset and emotional capacities and whatnot. Yeah, I, I would say um, the biggest the biggest two qualities uh, one, one you would think you would think of uh, right off the bat, which is resilience, just to see how my father moved, um, how he always figured out a way to to kind of make things work, um, to see my mom in the different seasons of her life, um, you know, kind of evolve into the moment, just that that level of resilience to where you're able to take on the adversity and you're able to figure out internally how to how to deal with the adversity and keep moving forward. Um, that played a, a pivotal role in just just my entire approach to not being highly recruited, not being you know a high round draft pick, um, you know stepping into uh, stepping into a world in professional football where you know I, I was probably number six or seven on the depth chart when I when I initially got to New Orleans um, and somehow was able to be a day one starter. Um, you know, just that, that mindset around resilience and being able to not, not run from the adversity, but take it on and, and allow it to mold you and allow it to, to kind of evolve you into who you need to be in the moment. Um, you know, that was, that was one of the, one of the qualities that still sticks with me to this day. And, and the other one, which is, you wouldn't necessarily see on the surface of sports, but, but just to operate with integrity, um, you know, always striving to do the right things for the right reasons. Um, you know, I think in in my in my role as an athlete, it made me a good teammate. It made me somebody that was dependable, um, and it made me somebody that was just available. And you know, pro sports, if you have those three qualities, you've got a chance to be successful. Yeah. I'm curious how you navigated the press and media and, and even more so fame. Like, you know, everyone wants to be famous until you're having a bad day and 10 people are hounding you on the street for stuff. You're like, <laughs> right. Cause I, I know like, you know, I can definitely be more introverted too at times. And I'm curious, like what, what was that like for you specifically navigating that as you did become more famous? It, it's, it's one of those funny things, man, because I, I never, still to this day, I, I won't, I won't ever call myself famous. Right. Because for whatever reason, it, it's just, well, one, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a pretty extreme introvert. Um, you know, I, I, I've always been in, in, you know, the success that I had on the field didn't, didn't really change that. I've always just kind of been someone to, I just want to go about my business, do what I'm supposed to do, come in, do my job, do what they pay me to do and, and go home. 
right? I don't, uh, all of the bells and whistles, that, that wasn't for me. That's for somebody, it's just not me. <laughs> um, you know, so that that approach kind of helped, helped me navigate really my job. That's, that's how I looked at it as I had, I had coworkers. Um, that, that was just kind of my, my perspective and my, and my viewpoint around it. So I think my approach helped me stay level, stay anchored in, you know, this, this is what I'm, I'm here to do. It's, it's nothing more than that. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be more than that. And, you know, the media aspect of it, um, just being introverted, it, I kind of, I kind of towed the company line for, for the first few years, because I just felt like I had to always speak to the media because they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I eventually got to a point where I only really spoke to the media when I had something to say. Um, because when you, when you're in that world, you, you realize quickly that the media now more than ever is, is the questions always have a gotcha element to them. So if I'm not going to give you the, the canned company line, um, which I'm going to have to say over and over and over again all season, you know, it gets tiring, it gets kind of repetitive and you just, you get sick of it after a while. And I'm not going to really give you the real because that's going to cause, you know, conflict and it's going to cause friction. So I, at, at some point I just stopped kind of talking to the media for a while. Uh, um, you know, I would speak when, when I had to, um, I didn't dislike them. We had really good relationships outside of, you know, the, 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 the work environment, but within that bubble, um, I just, I let, I let other people do the talking and I just went to work and, and, and did my job to the best of my abilities. Nice. Did you have any, um, were there any kind of journalists or people in the media that you had either a special bond with, or you felt like had more integrity, had a lot of integrity that you really respected when you were going through this process? Yeah, I mean, funny enough, I, I would say most of the most of the relationships with the media, especially in New Orleans, um, they all operated in in that way. Um, they were always, you know, they always tried to operate with integrity. Um, and and it's funny because we we've built relationships, deeper relationships now that I'm not playing than I had when I was actually playing and seeing them every day. Um, you know, I've done, you know, business, I've, I've done conferences in New Orleans, I've done business in, in New Orleans, and a lot of those same media personalities will, will cover, you know, some of those opportunities. So, um, you know, the relationships were always really good. It was just, there's just something, something about that manufactured bubble that just didn't, it, it never sat well with me. And, and it was a, it was a situation where more often than not, it felt like a no-win situation. Um, so I, I, I chose to opt out more often than not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of, especially <laughs> nowadays, like you said, you could do a lot more harm than good getting in front of yeah. the camera. Like I'll, I'll be sure. talking to my friends. I'll be like, oh, man, I would get canceled for that right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, you, you give a whole three minute answer and, and they, you know, they highlight, you know, one part of one part of one sentence that out of context, it, it looks and sounds crazy. So. Once you start realizing that that that's that's the game that that you're playing, you you try to just be more mindful about what you give people access to. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I, I want to say I really appreciate you kind of earlier in this combo sharing about um, your your dad and kind of his passing. And I'd just be curious if you could share just a little bit more. I, I know that we do have listeners who have had to face grief as well, and you know, as a coach, and you know, you being coach too, we see that in our day to day and. Mm-hmm. I'm curious kind of, you know, what helped you with that? And I'm sure that's kind of an ongoing process for you. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely an ongoing process. It's, it's one of those things where, like I said before, the void never really fully, you can't really fully feel that void um, because there's, there's moments that it, it just kind of starts to cycle all over again. Like when I had um, my wife and I recently uh, had, had our third child and with the birth of every single one of, of our children, it's, it's, it starts the grieving process over again because their grand, their grandpa is not, not here, you know, to share in the experiences. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's one of those things, man. Um, football was a huge component of me um, kind of getting through in the moment. Because uh, when you, you lose, you lose your hero at you know at 14 years old, and there's really no one to fill that void. The only thing that I had at that point that we kind of still shared was was sports and was particularly football. So that was that was my opportunity to um, kind of internalize our collective dream and try to carry it forward. Um, and then at the same time, it was it was a thing that kept me busy um, because. You know, at 14, you don't really have the tools to deal with that kind of grief. You don't have the tools to deal with that kind of adversity in your life. And for me, it was, you know, staying busy and trying to build the capacity to handle that. Um, you know, and, and I think for a lot of us, it is, there, there really is no answer, right? You just got to keep moving and you've got to keep, um, you've got to keep trying to, to fulfill your vision and your purpose. And, you know, hopefully in doing that, um, that person is not here to share it with you in the physical form, but the spirit of that person, um, you know, the, the collective vision that you share with that person, you're the, you're the one that's, that's really a lot able to kind of keep it alive and keep it going. And that, that fuels you and helps you, you know, start to start the healing process. Yeah. Wow. And, and I'm curious kind of how you've been able to transition filling that and, and kind of fulfilling your purpose after the NFL. I'd imagine, um, you know, a lot of players would just kind of have some challenges with that, even if they didn't have that grief. It's like their identity was as this player. And now what is it? Yeah, it's, it's um, I think one, one of the teachings from my parents and from my upbringing is that what you do doesn't define who you are. And for me, leaving professional football, that that premise was always top of mind. It was always front of mind for me because, um, you know, a lot of people see the end result and a lot of people really tune in for the entertainment value. But when you really look at it and you really examine what you're doing as a professional athlete, it's, it's really all about your process. Right. Um, the value is in all of the steps that it took to get to that point. And when I when I realized that, I realized that I was able to put the entire journey into a different context. And um, when you look at the ability to overcome adversity, overcome odds at every step and the process that you put together to do that. When you realize it, that you're operating at the highest level you know, as, as a 1% of 1% and you've kind of built this platform to do it, you realize that you can build that platform over and over again. And that's really what's kind of driven every transition for me and what's, what's allowed me to, to, to kind of move into and out of industries that 
maybe look seamless on the outside, but it, there's there's a lot of internal work to make it happen. But it's really going back to, all right, you've done this, you've you've done it, you you've done it maybe in a different uh, with a different face on it, you've done it, you know, different iterations of it. But you've taken yourself from point A to point B to point C, and you've been able to build processes to excel um, in scenarios where it's not set up for you to excel. And if you can kind of package up that process, you can put it into and implement it anywhere. And, and that's what I've, I've tried to do. And that's that's really um, what's driven my growth and development and part of what I'm, I'm, I'm you know, helping to implement with with the clients that I work with. Mm hmm. I'm curious also how you're able to uh, do self-care and keep things slow down when they should be in those seasons. I know we've had a couple calls and caught up and you're like, yeah, I'm in the store with the kids or I'm riding the subway. <laughs> and I just want to say, I so appreciate that because I feel like everyone thinks in order to get to 1% of one, they have to just always be grinding it out. But then you see so many people burn out and I'm curious yeah. how you're able to kind of be super chill, but also do these great things. Yeah, I think it's it's the understanding that you just laid out. It's it's ultimately you can't you can't pour from an empty cup, right? And that's something that that's one of the internal lessons that you that you learn in sports is I'm only as good as my my performance is only as good as my ability to recover, right? So when you take that and you kind of extrapolate that out into 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 life, it's I can I can perform at the highest level, um, but I've got to be able to refuel to be able to do it again, right? Because the the nobody wants to be the one hit wonder. Everybody wants to figure out how do you how do you create sustainable success? And the the thing that I've learned is the way that you sustain success is you've got to keep refueling it. Um, so it's been, you know, as as every new situation um, and new circumstance kind of kind of arises. You almost you almost treat it like a season, and in every season that you have, the the um, the inputs are going to be different, and it's going to lead to different outputs, right? So in this current season, I'm I'm a you know I'm a I'm a dad again <laughs> with a with a four month old, and what that means for me holistically is something different. It's a new season that I've never gone through before. Right. So I've got to be able to um, not not just juggle all of the different roles and responsibilities, but really try to manage them intentionally to where um, I have work initiatives and I have work goals that, that I'm that I'm uh, working to achieve. But at the same time, my family, each each individual in my family, their role is kind of evolved with the new with the new little one. Right. So. Um, it's it's remaining flexible enough to allow change to to be a good thing, change to be a catalyst for for your approach, and um, you know I think I think a lot of that just kind of hinges on realizing that nothing's permanent, nothing's going to be permanent, um, and in every season, even accomplishing the same, even getting to the same end goal, it's always going to take it might take you a different process to get there. Um, and I think that approach is really rooted in sports and it's really served me well in, in every area of my life, just trying to keep and maintain that balance so that I can refuel, um, in order to sustain. Mm -hmm. I, I'm 
imagining that your parents did so many good things and were great parents in so many ways, but is there anything that you maybe are doing differently than what your parents did as a father or husband? Yeah, I, I think the, the one thing that I am doing differently is um, I'm, I'm trying to, like, like you said before, I, I'm trying to be as present as possible in all of the moments. Um, and that's, that's just from my personal experience of, you know, when you lose somebody that's that important to you at 14, everything just becomes more urgent. And like my oldest right now, my son just turned 11. So there's times where I, I, I kind of reflect back on like, damn, in, in, in three years, you know what I mean? When, by the time you hit 14, like, I want to make sure that, that I'm no matter what happens, cause we don't know what could happen. I want to make sure that I'm I'm leaving as many fingerprints as possible in their lives. And, you know, I think a lot of that is just the urgency of, of losing my father. Um, but, you know, I think for a lot of us, and especially in my circumstance, you know, it's my parents were, 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 were first generation, right? First generation success of, of their kind. And, you know, in the path that I'm traveling, I'm the next first generation. And, you know, I think a lot of the goal is to take the lessons that you learned from the generation before you and just plant as many seeds as possible in the next generation and watch them flourish. And that's that's kind of been my approach to parenting. Um, you know, it's you, you can plant the seeds, you can nurture the seeds, but at some point the seed's going to do what the seed's going to do. Um, and all you can do is try to create as much influence around it as possible. Yeah. I mean, in what you just said, that sentence, there is kind of a letting go that needs to happen. How has that been for you? I'd imagine you're probably better at this than me, but I can be a little bit of a <laughs> freak. So obviously parenting is kind of one of those ultimate tests, right? And how have you learned how to let go and just kind of let your kids be themselves and let things play out, you know? It's man, it's, it's been, it's been a lot easier with the kids, uh, than it is with other adults. <laughs> um, because with, with my background and, and being a professional athlete, a former athlete, you know, I, I, I work very hard to make sure that my kids' expectations are ones that they create. Um, because the outside world, they, they see my, my, my son plays football, he plays lacrosse, plays a runs track. My daughter plays flag football, runs track. Um, I'm assuming the, the youngest will do something in sports when she's ready. Um, and because of my background, a lot of the adults will automatically put their, um, you know, will kind of create their future for them. And, you know, for me, it's, it's been, it's been just trying to be very intentional that they have their own space and their own lane to do and develop how they want to develop, right? You don't force them into anything. Um, you let them kind of find their way. And I think knowing that people were going to kind of put their expectations um, before it was time for anybody to put expectations on my kids. I think that kind of sped up the process of letting go because I wanted to just make sure that I was out of the way and my past and my background was out of the way to allow them the opportunity to be who, whoever and do whatever um, they feel like is their purpose. As, as parents, you, you always want what's best for your kids. Um, but I think when, when you force there, there's an opportunity to create resentment, right? 
And, you know, when you don't allow someone to discover on their own, they might get to the same conclusion that you wanted them to. And that's, that's amazing for everybody. But if you don't allow them the space and, and the grace to, to kind of build it and, and figure it out on their own, um, you know, that there's, there's lessons and there's personal insights that, that I think get, get left out. And, you know, in that self-discovery mode is, is when, I think that's when the real growth happens. And, and you, you just, as a parent, you just don't want to be the person that robs your kids of, of those opportunities. Yeah, that's so good. You know, you mentioned earlier, not identifying too much with being an NFL player. One of the things that I've struggled with and seen others struggle with is not identifying with your money. And I'm curious how, as an elite athlete, obviously getting paid, I'm assuming millions and millions of dollars and being around other people like that, you know, obviously not saying specific names, but what did you see in terms of people who would kind of not be smart with their finances versus <laughs> you? And like, what have you learned about money and personal finance management throughout your life so far? Man, it's, it's, uh, it, it's been across the board, to be honest with you. I've, I've seen, I've seen people that, that have really enjoyed the life <laughs> that they've created for themselves, maybe, maybe in excess at times, but, um, and I've also seen people be very, very frugal and very, um, calculated with, with, with their finances. And I think honestly, there's room for everything, man. Um, you know, when you put it into context, you know, you're 25 years old and, and have more money than you've ever dreamed of having at some point you got to enjoy it right? You got to enjoy the work that you put in. You got to validate the work that you put in. And, and, you know, at some point, you know, you, you, you're leaving a lot on the table to be able to do that, 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 the thing that's, that's providing that income. So you, you got to enjoy it because you don't want any regrets there. But at the same time, there's, there's kind of this, there's this responsibility that you got to learn that, um, in a lot of cases, you're going to be the first, you're going to be the change maker in your entire circle, in your entire universe. Right. Um, and there's, there's a weight that comes with that, whether it's justified or not, there's a weight that comes with that to where everyone is kind of watching what you do. And there's an opportunity in there to be somebody that, you know, does it a different way and does it a way that maybe your circle and maybe your universe is not used to seeing it done that way. And that might, that manifests itself in a, a new possibility for someone, right? So, you know, there, there's a lot of weight that comes along with getting yourself into that financial position. Um, there's obviously, you know, the, the sharks are always swimming in the water to, to find ways to separate you from your money. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, there, there is this duality with that, that I think a lot of guys and, and a lot of people in that situation struggle with. There's the duality of like, no one handed me this life. I've, I've created this. And there are certain things that I've sacrificed that I've, I've, I've chose to go without short term to invest in my long term. And at some point, I, I got to be able to celebrate that. But at the same time, I know that people are watching me. I know that people are, are looking to me to be the, to be the example. And I've got to, I've got to, even though I might not have the resources internally, I might not have the knowledge base internally. I've got to figure out how to try to be that example. And, and I think those, those conflicting thoughts and feelings are, are, you know, I know it's, it's, it's what I struggled with early on. Um, and I know a, I've, I've seen a lot of other guys struggle through, you know, 
it, it's, it's an interesting paradigm. You can't live on an extreme. It, it's just not, it's not possible. It's not sustainable. Um, and I don't care what that extreme is. Um, but I think when it comes to finance, there's an equilibrium there, right? To where you, you can enjoy it without going into excess. Um, and you can be intentional without being a cheapskate. Right. And I think that there's there's a there's a lot that happens in the middle that nobody talks about because it's boring. It's not it's not sexy to um, it's not sexy to talk about the person that has kind of figured out how to manage their lifestyle in a sustainable way that doesn't grab headlines. It only grabs headlines and, and it only creates visibility when somebody's either running through their money and, and they're on pace to go broke or somebody is is so frugal that they're living way below their means in, a, in, in an unsustainable way. Yeah. And unfortunately, there aren't enough platforms that allow the individual to tear the, tell their story. So the narrative is always shaped from the outside. Right. I, I wanna obviously talk about kind of life after the NFL. Talk to me a little bit about kind of retirement, moving on, what were kind of some of your first endeavors beyond, you know, beyond the league? For sure. So. Um, I've, I've never officially retired, right? It's just a word that I, I don't I don't use for whatever reason. I'm just gonna um, say, hey, New York Jets, man, we got Aaron Rodgers. Marcus Colson is not retired. Pick him up. <laughs> so, no, when I when I uh, I knew I was done, um, but I on, I, on purpose, I, I just kind of moved to the next season, right? Uh, kind of going back to thinking about life in, in seasons. So I just kind of moved on to the next season because I had already started to, to build it while I was still an active player. And um, my, my first, my first off the field um, business activity, I guess you'd call it. Uh, I, I thought it was a great idea. And this was probably year five. So I was about 20, 27. Uh, I thought it was a great idea to invest in an indoor football team. And, um, you know, I, I was a, a silent investor. It was a team that was launching in my hometown. Um, it was right below the arena football league at that point. And for me, it was, it was a started out as like a silent investor. And for me, it was an opportunity to give back to my hometown because most, you see a lot of guys that, that make it, they create a foundation and they, they run programming through their foundation. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, I now have a team that can use, I can use this kind of my community outreach arm, right? So we can run programs through the team. We can run um, football camps and, you know, uh, literacy uh, programs and nutrition and health and wellness programs through the team. So that was kind of the thought process going in. Um, so I invested, was silent investor for a year, made it to most of the games and I'm watching it and I'm and I'm kind of falling in love with being on the other side of the sport that I was still playing. So it gave me a really interesting insight. I'm playing on the field in the fall and then I'm kind of in the owner's box in the spring. So after the first year, um, I decided I want to take a I want to take a, a swing at actually operating this thing. So I ended up buying out my partner. Um, took over full ownership and I was an owner operator at that point. So I ran every aspect of the organization uh, in my off seasons. So everything from sponsorships, selling sponsorships to selling marketing, uh, uh, sponsorships, uh, marketing, ticket sales, game operations, 
anything that happened to make the team run, I was responsible for it. And it was, it was like an NBA on the, on the, like on the go. Um, because it was, it was, everything was new. Everything was fresh. Um, and it was just an opportunity to build and learn at rapid, at a rapid pace. And, um, from there, I just kind of fell in love with, with entrepreneurship and, and, you know, business ownership. And, and that's kind of what got me started, um, down the path that I'm on now. And, you know, from there, I ended up, um, when that team ended up shutting down, I ended up, uh, grabbing ownership stake in, in an arena football league team, uh, served on a couple, uh, executive committees there, got a chance to work, you know, as, as partners really with, um, the group in DC with Ten Leonsis and the Monumental Sports Group, which was an eye-opening experience. You know, you're sitting at the table with the DraftKings of the world, um, negotiating partnerships. You're sitting at the table with CBS negotiating TV deals. Um, so that was just like that progression was an experience um, that you really couldn't you couldn't pay for that education just to just to be thrown kind of to the wolves um, and have these people that you can now pick their brains. Um, you're in meetings, learning, you're, you're, you know, starting to kind of figure out your own management style, um, figuring out how to sell, how to market your, and really in your way and your likeness. Um, that was kind of like the, the transition for me, that was kind of the bridge for me, um, because it was something that I understood football intimately. I just was getting a chance to see the other side of it. And once I got in there and I, and I, I realized that I had the capacity to do it. Um, it was going to look a little bit differently than everybody else, but I had the capacity to do it. That was the thing that gave me all the confidence to go out and just continue to knock on doors and just try new things. And it's led me into a bunch of um, different roles in different industries that at 22, I didn't, I probably didn't know existed. Sounds like you got thrown right into the fire with, with business <laughs> experience. Like, almost like you didn't even know what you signed up for. No, I, I had no idea what I signed up for um, because I, I went in thinking it was going to be one thing and it was 10 other things. And um, I'm somebody that I'm always going to roll my sleeves up first. So I rolled my sleeves up and, and got punched in the gut a few times. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, did, I figured out a lot on the fly. And like I said, without the traditional experience, the learning curve was pretty steep. Um, you know, and, and there were probably more efficient ways to get to the lessons I ultimately learned. But for me, it, it's, I always talk about this. There, there's a different, there's a, there's a difference between information and insights, right? You can read all the books in the world to get the information, but until you actually apply the information or you implement it, um, you, you don't get those insights and you don't personalize the, that information to you and your experience. And, you know, throwing myself in the fire in like, like that, it gave me a chance to really develop those insights, not just about the technical skills, but about me in those situations. And it allowed me to develop those insights at, at rapid speed. Yeah. That's not, that's amazing. And as we kind of start to wrap up here a little bit, what, what are you focusing on currently? Obviously you have great family commitments. You just had your third child, but, uh, what, like from a business perspective currently, is it the coaching? Is it a few things? Where, where's your energy right now? 
Yeah. So, so my energy right now is, is, is definitely in, in coaching. Um, and, you know, I think my background, my business background, obviously my sports background, it gives me a really unique lens to coach through. Um, and my approach is really one that's, 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 it's interdisciplinary. Um, you know, it's, it takes a lot of the experiences from the performance side and figuring out how, how do you build to optimal performance and then figure out how to sustain it. Um, it's a little bit of, of, you know, financial management and money management. Um, I, from, from personal experience as, as a first generation wealth creator, um, with the experience that I have in venture capital and, and the financial markets. Um, and then it's, it's just kind of navigating, um, is navigating professional success as, as you, right? It's how do you figure out those insights about yourself and how do you leverage those insights about yourself to put yourself in the best possible, uh, positions to win. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's ultimately what everyone is looking for, right? It's how do, how do I, how do I craft a vision for myself and then put myself in position to go achieve it? And, um, really just leveraging, um, experiences across the board, uh, to help clients kind of put that vision together and, and, and put a plan together to go achieve it. That's amazing. I'm just going to, one follow up on that is kind of, what do you kind of look for in someone that you think can be successful for you or with you, with you? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so there's a mindset that, that I've, um, that I've kind of coined that, that I call irrational confidence. And it's, it's really this, this self-belief that, um, no matter what the odds are, no matter what the, um, no matter what the external perceptions are, if, if I'm, if I can master who I am, um, and I can move with this resilience and this grit and ultimately know, have a clear cut vision for where I want to end up. I can put myself in position against those odds to achieve that, that goal and that vision. And, you know, as, as I, I kind of look at every stage of, of, of my life, it's, it's been about that irrational confidence that says, if there is a 90% chance of, of, of failure, um, then I feel bad for that 90% cause I'm gonna be in the 10, <laughs> you know, so um, you know, clients and potential clients that have that, that self-belief and, and, you know, have that, um, that they, they want to grow. They want to challenge themselves. They want to put themselves in uncomfortable positions because they know that's where the real growth is. Um, that's the client that, that I think, um, makes a, a really, really amazing thinking partnership, um, to help get you from point A to point B. I feel like you did such a great job of explaining what coaching is just through some those last two answers. And, you know, people are always like, Oh, well, you know, what's the difference between therapy and coaching and <laughs> I just appreciate you laying that out. And I love that, that kind of approach you shared as well. And I, I am curious, and I'm sure your listeners are curious too, you, you know, uh, for those interested in learning more about what you do and your services, uh, how can they find out about that and learn more? Sure. The, the, the best place is going to be my website. Um, it has, um, there's a little bit of information about, about the, the approach, the mindset and methodology. Um, and that's going to be Marcus Colston.xyz. Um, 
starting to get active again on, on social, you'll, you'll probably find me more, more than likely find me on, on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, more heavily. Um, and just, again, just trying to share insights and share, share, you know, perspectives and experiences that, that hopefully help others kind of unlock their, their creativity and possibility. I love that. And, uh, Marcus, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, for telling your story, for being open, transparent. It, it's been amazing to see not only your success in the NFL, but kind of what was underneath it and how much of it wasn't just about the physical talent. You obviously have this amazing mindset, integrity, strong family values. And I just so appreciate you doing this, man. No, I, I appreciate the invite and, uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. hundred percent. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If you're interested in building or scaling an online coaching business just like me, visit brendanhburns.com slash book and get a free one-on-one -on -one personalized coaching session to learn how to set it up. Again, for a free one-on-one -on -one personalized coaching session so you can have a thriving online coaching business that you can run from anywhere in the world, just like me, visit brendanhburns.com slash book to set it up. Thanks again for tuning into the show and have a great day.